Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, it's 9 a.m., and the pet experts are in the building. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS and 1320WILS.com. Now, here are your hosts, Rick Pruce and Lee Cohen. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-hosts, the pet experts themselves. In the studio, I have with me Dr. Will Schultz from Schultz Veterinary in Okemos, retired. Welcome back to the studio, Doc. <laughs> retired but awake. Good yeah. morning, everybody. <laughs> Appreciate it. And we have with us by phone, uh, but still here in spirit. I know that's a fact. It's Rick Pruse from Pruse Pets. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, both of you. <laughs> well, we wish you were here in, in physicality, but you have things to do, and we get that. So, But we appreciate yeah, your being able to join us for this great conversation that we're going to have today because, uh, Rick, if there's a subject that I, I almost want to say – that we've not talked about it enough, even though there's probably a lot of people who would say we've talked about it too much. But I don't think you can talk about it too much because when you look at a lot of pet stores that are out there and two-thirds of the retail space is filled <laughs> with one thing, then it's a big product, and that's pet nutrition. Yeah, that's that's something we in uh, veterinary school we went through. And you, as you think about it, and you hear nutrition, you go like, "Oh my God, this is going to be so boring. I can't deal with it." And the nutrition class in school was maybe at that level a little bit. But today we have a guest, Dr. Sarah Bood, that's coming on, and she can make this enlightening, and she will help us with this because this is something that's critically important for humans and pets, but very much for your pet because your pet depends completely on you for what's being, and your aquarium fish and your reptiles uh, and your birds. Uh, everything that you're, you're, it's you feeding them. They, go, they tell you when they're hungry, but they don't know what we're hungry for. And we go to fast food, we go to restaurants, we eat at home, we make uh, TV dinners. Uh, some of the things that we eat absolutely aren't nutritious for us at all. But do we see a nutritionist? No. But the good part is we have them for pets. And we can then stabilize their diet, have them on a diet for, let's say they're overweight or you have a diabetic dog or cat. Um, you know, you have issues with your animals. It's heat in the summer. You have to feed them differently. Uh, we have to monitor that. And they can't open the refrigerator door, but we do. Well, it depends. I've heard of pigs who've managed to open <laughs> yeah. refrigerator doors and cupboards and what have you. But, Rick, how important do you think that this continues to be for you? Because I've got to imagine it's one of the the bigger well, you have a lot of questions that you guys take, but I'm sure nutrition is still one of them. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting perspective for us uh, as a pet store. You know, we have kind of a uh, the shirt's inside out kind of um, issue in that usually as a retailer, if you're thinking about dog foods and cat foods and nutrition for both of those, as a retailer, you're thinking about, you know, what all brands and lines should I carry and how diverse and how substantial can I get? And for us, actually, you know, we're actually trying to go the, the other direction. What I'd like to do is be very concentrated on the brands that we carry, like go to, you know, two or three lines of food that are best in the business and then make those recommendations 
as opposed to trying to carry everything that everybody wants, only because we're kind of a, a store that fits, you know, kind of a different niche. Mm-hmm. Uh, we not only have dog and cat supplies and make some of the best uh, selection of, you know, treats and toys and such, but we also want to have, like, the best um, in aquatic animals and specimens and, and, and the best in bird nutrition and the best in reptiles and exotics, you know. And so for us, I, I try to balance all of that. And the best way to do that is to have as much knowledge and experience on the subject matter as I can so that when somebody comes in, they can be confident that they're getting a product that's worth their money in spite of the fact I may not have exactly the brand they're used to. And what's good I go about into these, I, I, yeah. Well, I go into these uh the stores, and no offense, right? But I walk into uh, many that dog food stores, and I just see aisles and aisles of different brands, and that's great for them if that's their model. It's just not where I'm at. And the good thing about your model is uh, you're doing the homework for the people. So when you walk into a regular store and there's 500 feet of dog foods, and I've been in those stores, um, if if you've got the dog food picked out and you and we can trust you because you're running a really good shop there um i don't have to go looking as hard as i used to have to look i i had you doing the work for me that's right. awesome right well and i would yeah. say uh, well and i would say that if you went to a store and you were able to buy alpo i don't know that they did you much of a favor in having that <laughs> available just because maybe some people wanted that so but that's something we'll talk about with dr abood uh, she's good here in the studio it's been several years since we've had her in and there i i can say doc and correct me I don't know if there are 10 people in the country or arguably the world who might know more on the subject than she does. So we're dealing with an incredible, knowledgeable mind this week on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. Welcome back to the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show and Rick and Doc, we have with us in the studio a returning guest, although it's been a long time away, and we're glad to have her. It's Dr. Sarah Abood, who last time we saw her, she was pretty much the smartest lady in the MSU vet school when it came to nutrition. And bottom line is that she is back here now as the founder of her own company. It's called Sit, Stay, Speak Nutrition. Welcome back to the studio, Sarah. Thank you so much. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you. Very glad to be here. Well, uh, I said to Rick earlier, you know, we talk about food fairly often or nutrition, but bottom line is you are without question anyone who knew your resume would not question your experience, (laughs) things you've learned, things you've talked about, things you've done in the field with Purina. And so bottom line is, Please explain to me just some dumb pet owner who tries to keep two dogs from being too destructive and being happy and not being too fat. And why is it when I go into a store other than a few like Rick Pruce's, all you see is dog food, dog food, dog food, dog food, dog food, everywhere that you look. And I cannot for the life of me understand how they can do that and stay in business because – it's so much, and I just I find it to be 
a, a terrible experience because you're constantly feeling buyer's remorse. And you're overwhelmed. Yeah, I it's mean, overwhelming. It's huge numbers. Of There's yeah. so many choices So right there. why do they do that? Uh, because we live in a capitalistic society. <laughs> so because they can. Right? And, and for, someone, for someone like Rick, Rick's making a choice like many veterinary clinics do, right? We have so much space. We, we've done our research, and we want to focus on a few products that we feel really comfortable and confident about when we recommend to our customers or our pet owners. And, and that is a strategy, right? So some might argue that really limits them, but on the other hand, uh, they've done their research. They like these products, and as as long as their customers also like those products, that's a good strategy. the The other companies uh, are choosing the strategy of like more is better. Uh, but the downside of that is many customers feel overwhelmed. So it would be great if those stores actually trained their employees uh, to to help and to coach and uh, yeah that that's a that's for another day but that's what my uh, business does is try to help those companies train their staff so they can understand how do how do you interact with a pet owner and guide them to the best choice for them yeah and that and that's a big issue with you when you're walking in the store because you have big dogs little dogs dogs with crazy metabolism dogs with no metabolism literally and when I walk in, how do I feed them? I need somebody to help me out with that. And layered on top of that is you've got expensive diets, diets in the middle, and diets at the low end, right? So so my general recommendation would be you probably don't need the most expensive and you don't need the least expensive. So I, I would start with the middle of the road. I think that's an okay choice, especially if you have a healthy pet. If you if you have a pet in which your veterinarian has said you need a specialized diet, okay, that puts you in a in a different category. But for feeding healthy pets, you don't need the most expensive, and you probably shouldn't choose the least expensive. Right. Rick, what do you think of what you've heard so far? Uh, I think that's right on target. Uh, we've chosen maybe out of space constriction not to even sell the least expensive lines. I think that realistically, you're going to see a, a wide variety of pricing. And bottom line is. Price is the first thing that people think about. And and it's, well, that's too much. Or, oh, that's a real value. And realistically, the value comes mostly in competitive world of, you know, dog food companies going at it. And they can't sell something for cheap when they put good quality products in it. And at the same time, they they typically, when they don't put the best products in there, it gets reduced down to the lowest common denominator. Yeah. And and, uh, And and, that's price. Yeah. And then some of the companies also will sell generic dog foods. And I know people have done it at, at certain stores will do that. Are uh-huh. those foods safe? Right. So those are, can, the, that category is private label. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so, yeah. right, you, you know, a, a company like PetSmart doesn't have their own pet food manufacturing facilities, right? So they've hired right. another pet food company to make the food and so they can put their label on it. Those foods often are meeting the same basic nutritional guidelines or criteria that all the big companies, the the companies that are putting a lot of money into the research and the brand and the packaging, they're they're all, they're often doing the same thing. But how can one know? So so what you look for is something called a nutritional adequacy statement, or the shorthand for that is an AFCO claim. An AFCO stands for the Association of American Feed Control Officials. That's the small print on the package that tells a consumer or a pet owner this company attempted to meet all the nutritional guidelines for the adult dog or the growing puppy or the cat or the kitten, and and they've met the minimum and they haven't gone over the maximum. 
And, there, and the label will say we have tested for or we meet minimums, right? That's right. The label right. have two different statements on it. One statement will say this food, and they have, to, they have to name the product, this food meets those minimum guidelines because we formulated it that way. So that's being formulated on paper. And then the other way is to say animal feeding tests substantiate that this food meets those particular guidelines. And where am I going to find that label? It's in small print. It's Always. U- it's, usually, <laughs> it's usually on the panel that also has the feeding instructions or it's, it's near where the guaranteed analysis is, where those few numbers are. So I, I would imagine that Rick's products have that on there because, quite frankly, most do. Like many, if not most, of the private label products have that claim on it. So that's the that's the most basic nutritional bar that we're starting. And, and with. there's a little tiny bit of buyer beware if you can't find that. So if you're in the store, oh no, there's a lot of buyer beware yeah, if you right. can't find yeah, it. Yeah, we'll yeah. get into that. <laughs> and, yeah. and we will um, in the store. They will be able to show you where that is because we went. Uh, we we did this in the clinic one day. We pulled up all our foods, and most of the foods we have are prescription diet foods and stuff. But it's all on those. And you look, and it's a little tiny square label in the bottom of the food on the. It's like it's something that should have five inches square on the bag instead of a little like one inch. Square. That's right. It's like, Put where's Waldo? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, that's right. And now, is this on canned food also? Yes, it's on canned okay. food also. Rick, you, I'm sorry, I was going to say, uh, Rick, you had a comment? Maybe the reason it's small and uh, relatively insignificant on the bag or the can is that most have it. And so they're trying to hmm. drum up support for their product less upon the nutritional profile of competency, but more on what other impression. They, they have a really large dog or, you know, sunset or you know, a farm display of, you know, imaging on the outside of the package or trout stream or whatever, but they don't necessarily amplify that. Would that, should they amplify that? And and how many brands out there would you find in a ambitious selection that don't include it? I guess that would be my question. That is a good question, Rick. These days, um, it's hard to find a food that's being marketed as a complete and balanced diet without that claim. So uh, so what might not have that particular claim on it? Well, treats, treats and toppers won't have that kind of claim because they're not complete and balanced. It's only if the company wants to market and sell the food as a complete and balanced food that they, they are supposed to have that claim on it. Yeah, and, and when we were doing before, we had, they're called all life stage food. And uh, years ago, we had special diets for our pregnant dogs or pregnant cats. Uh, you, you had to do that because you had extra nutrition in there. And now these foods are birthed to, to senility, uh, you know, birthed to death. The, the food is stable and good for them for their entire life. That's true. That's how it's marketed. Oh, you however, should see the look I just got. However, uh, I will say that as a nutritionist, I'm not a fan of those all-life stages foods because the the marketing idea is start your puppy or your kitten on this food, and then it can have it all the way through its life. But lots of adult dogs don't need that extra nutrition, right? They're couch potatoes, or they're they're not couch potatoes. They get to exercise, but because they get so many treats, they're carrying extra weight. So to to literally be on a puppy food all your life (laughs) is is you know providing you with opportunities you don't need to be overweight or obese. Well, and and one of the questions I've got, because Rick mentioned before about price being important, and there are also people out there who are value shoppers, and one of the values in the price for pet food is volume, if you get a bigger bag. But my question is, does the nutrition hold 
in the pet food when you've got these big, huge bags, a 50-pound bag, and you've got a little tiny five-pound dog that you're feeding food to. So that bag is going to last you a year, maybe. Uh, is that the right thing to do? or Because I just I can't imagine that the food holds its nutrition over that long of a period, especially since, let's be honest, there are kids, there's me, where the bag doesn't always get it closed as tightly as it needs to be, as my wife points out. This, uh, is, this is a really great question. I want to talk about this for just a please. minute. Um, in general, our, our midsize and our very big pet food companies do a lot of research on packaging and preservation. So when they say, you know, the, the born on date or the best by date, it's intended to be that, that what they've measured is, do we still have the same nutritional composition at the end of the one year or the two year mark, whatever it is? And that is based upon if the food is appropriately stored. So one, one thing that's interesting is I've, I've read a couple of different studies and a, a majority of pet owners typically take the food out of the big bag and put it in some sort of plastic bin. Mm-hmm. This is not a good idea uh, because Again, the big pet food companies doing packaging research, they have studied and have modified their packages so they help with preservation. So the the basic idea should always be keep the food in the original package and and put that package in an airtight container. That is ideal. Now, if if you're the owner of a small dog and you do want to buy the big 50-pound bag, I would encourage that owner to figure out how to put part of the food in an airtight container of some kind in the freezer. Right, so you, you're going to preserve that a little bit longer if it can stay in the freezer for several months, and then you can take it out and defrost it as you need it. Yeah, we had issues years ago with a, a, a group that would buy their food for six months, and they would store it on a cement floor, and the cement floor is hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, and their uh, reproduction in their kennel dro- would drop off. And we looked at it, and we go like, you know, about every six months, nobody's having babies anymore. And we looked, well, when do you buy your food? Well, we bought it six months before that, and we were just about for new food when all these dogs got bred and nobody had any babies. And it was, it was very, very quick and very easy, and it didn't take much of a CSI to figure that out. So one of the most obvious things that will happen if someone takes their big bag of food and puts it in a, in a plastic bin, they might even say, oh, my plastic bin's an airtight, airtight container. They're not airtight. They might not be, but also they're plastic. And so what they're doing is they're pulling the fat from inside the dry kibble. They're pulling it into the plastic lining of the container. So the food isn't going to be fresh. And as soon as you've opened the bag, the fat is going to start to break down. And you'd like to avoid rancidity, right? We don't want it to be rancid. So what's a good time? Let I'm, I'm going to put my 50-pound bag in. I have X number of dogs. What's your take on how long can I leave that in there? Well, it all depends on the size of the dog, right? So let's say you had a 30-pound dog because that, that's what I had. And I and I attempted to think about, oh, I should buy the big bag. And I was like, no, I'm not going to. So I would buy like at the in between the 8 and the 10-pound size. That would last my dog about three weeks. There, okay. and, and so, you know, even though I couldn't get anyone else in my family to use an, a clip or anything else like that, I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, See, that, that must be universal. It, it, it really is. You know, if I have to do two more steps. Uh, so is are two, is two months in a container like that safe, do you think, once it's open? I do think two months would be okay. Yeah. Okay. But I, I think beyond two months, you, you should figure out, gosh, maybe I can put part of this in the freezer. Right, right, right. And, and I don't want my food <laughs> sitting out there for two months either. Rick, anything to add to this? Well... 
you know that shoe that I always sit on top of the bag always seems to fall onto the floor, and then it uncurls. I don't know what happens. There. You need a brick. Oh, that's yeah. brilliant. <laughs> well, it's it's definitely something that people need to think about because, again, I don't know how many people know that fact that the food is not going to stay the same in the same condition. They're worried about is it fresh, but fresh is much less the concern. It's the nutrition that they thought they were buying at the time that they bought it and their dog is not getting it doc as you said how does it show up it can show up in the inability to procreate right so i mean there's a lot of things that can happen we're talking this morning with dr sarah abood and we need to take a quick break when we come back from the break we'll continue the conversation and talk about some of the variations that are out there that people are considering and trying and just kind of how you need to look at the whole thing from a safety standpoint and from a nutrition standpoint right here on 1320 wilf Rick Bruce and Lee Cohen on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show from 1320 WILS. It's 9.35 and we're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. We're talking this morning with Dr. Sarah Abood, who formerly from Michigan State Veterinary uh, School, but now she is in her own business, Sit, Say, Speak Nutrition. And Lord knows she has been doing that for a very long time. And she's with us here in the studio. Uh, Dr. Abood, thank you so much for the answer to your question and here during the break, uh, I had no idea that you would have handouts for me on the issue that I brought up. But I guess once an instructor, always an exactly. instructor. And you tell. never know when the students are going to come walking up and you can reach into your bag and here's the answer. Right. Uh, but uh, Doc, why don't you share what she shared with us during the break? Yeah. So this, if you go online and you type in uh, tips for safe handling of pet foods and treats, under the FDA, and you can find that online, and you also have it under, you said the CDC has it? Yes, Centers for Disease Control, and um, in addition to the tips for safe handling, they also have a, they'll, they'll send you from one page to another, but they have proper storage of pet food and treats. Yeah, everything we've been talking about, but you can find this online, and then you can have a good resource for it. Exactly. And you can also listen to our show on a podcast and hear it again also. Well, you can, but I'm just is so impressed that she had handouts handy and didn't even know the question was coming. I guess I'm just very predictable. And, and, and what Lee and Rick have to find out is when she's done and we go off the air, she's testing all of us on this. Oh, dear, yeah. yeah. There yeah, might yeah. be some questions. So so one of my pressing questions is, with all these dog foods that are on the market, and you have all these beautiful bags and all this stuff, there's our beef, there's chicken, there's wheat, there's, there's soy, there's uh, buffalo. And we were talking about jumping into this one. We were talking about one that had kangaroo in it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, so yeah, if I'm a pet owner, do I need to go to a novel protein? And these are called novel protein foods. Do I need to go to this with an otherwise healthy dog? Because they're question. more expensive. They, they can be. And, and it comes back to the original question of there's so many choices, you know, and, and it can get overwhelming. In, in general, uh, I would say, you know, to understand, like, what does my dog need? Your, your dog actually needs nutrients, not ingredients. And all those different protein sources are ingredients. And they're the primary protein source. But your, your pet needs more than just protein. He needs and she needs a variety of amino acids and fatty acids and vitamins and minerals. So so to cut to the chase, 
Do you need a particular kind of protein, something special? No, you do not, especially if your pet is healthy. If your pet has some itchy skin or some loose stool and you go to your veterinarian and your veterinarian says, we might need to rule out or rule in food allergies, then they might recommend a food with a novel protein. But they're going to take a complete diet history and they're going to try to make sure, has your pet ever had any treats with kangaroo or any treats with fish? And if that your pet hasn't, if you truly can say that, that might be the thing that they start them on. So it might be that you have to have your pet on an expensive diet for a little while until you can figure it out. But there are there are many other reasons for pets to have itchy skin and loose stool. So it's it's not it doesn't make sense to necessarily quickly switch the food and try to test that. It, yeah, right. Go ahead. And if you do switch the food, this is one thing that we ran into all the time. Fluffy has always had rawhides. Fluffy gets raw hides every morning. Fluffy gets raw hides every noon when we go on a walk. I you just switched my food to a buffalo food. Oh wait, those raw hides aren't buffalo food. So as a as a pet owner, you have to be critically aware that when you're doing a food exclusion, there is nothing but that food that goes in your dog's milk. For you people that are lactose intolerant, you can't drink milk. And your dog, when he's on a food like that and you're testing it, you can't break up what's in that food. So any treat must be the very same product that's in your main diet or or you just give the, the the kibble for a treat. Yeah, that's why these trials, they're called food elimination trials. They're really hard to do because pet owners are not it's not easy for everybody in the household to go, "Oh, okay, we'll make sure Fluffy only gets the special food that the veterinarian has recommended." So I come back to if your pet is basically healthy, um, you don't need any sort of unique kind of protein. You, you do need to find a food that your pet likes, that you can easily access, and that you, you know, it, it fits your budget. That's what you need to pay attention to yeah. as a pet owner. And, and one that Rick has on the shelves all the time, too. That's important. So if I've had people go and they like, <laughs> they're getting this one and it's not there. And, you, you yeah. know, everybody through COVID, the supply chain was a nightmare. And, and I'm sure you had problems at your store, too, with that, Rick, that, you know, you couldn't keep certain brands because there just were no drivers. It's frustrating. So you, right, then, right. then you have to look as similar, and then you have the label, you have the bag that you had, try and keep the proteins level, and that's the next question. So some of these foods now are 30% protein, 20% protein, 18% protein, um, and there's a fat protein ratio that we always wanted people to have. What do we look for with that? Well, those percentages on the label are not the actual percentages of what's in the food. So that's the first thing that's confusing. It, it, it doesn't confuse me because I, I understand and know how to look at the real nutrition makeup. But, but for people who are just like, I'm going into the store and I want to choose a food, the, the first thing is the nutritional adequacy claim, that AFCO claim, says, you know, it's the company's assurance to you they've met all the minimum amounts. So... How much more protein do you want or do, do you feel like your dog should have? That's, that's how people try to figure out, how do I get from baseline to optimum? What's the optimum nutrition for my dog? And that is the $64 million question because nobody really knows that. Uh, the veterinarian and the nutritionist can't easily predict that for a three-year-old or a 13-year-old dog. But the owner can. The owner can say, when I feed this particular food, my dog likes it. Her poops are good size. I don't have to use a big shovel in the backyard. She's got energy. She likes to walk and play. That's Those are the criteria that the pet owner is going to use, as opposed to, 
I, I've got to have 30% protein on the label. I've got to see that. Perfect. And Rick, I imagine as the pet store perspective on the whole thing, that what you want are the products that people are coming in and buying off the shelf, not necessarily the one that has the cutest animal that you like the most on the cover, because bottom line is, I think you could have one of your former zoo employees uh, stock that department, because just about every animal at the zoo is represented now in the offerings that they seem to have available for these different animals. So so, I mean, is that in fact the case that it's what people are buying that matters? And are you seeing any of these strange quotients working where you're really surprised at how many people are buying them? Well, here's what I'd like to say is, uh, Dr. I, I appreciate Dr. Boots' perspective because um, less, less about uh, the ingredients and more about the nutrition. I'd like to also say less about the store, not that I don't want everybody to come to Cruise Pets, but more where's your location and from where you're at where can you conveniently get that food you know who within they always refer to in this trade you know for fish it might be a 50 mile um uh, network where you need to travel in order to find the, the 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 things you want for your your pet but for dogs and cats you know they're usually talking about a five mile 10 mile radius and that's what i want you to think about is within you know, reasonable driving distance, where would you want to actually go? And I think, honestly, the best place to be going is a place that seems to emanate a sense of confidence and competency when it comes to pet nutrition and also the ability to help you when you get there as opposed to feeling like you're kind of abandoned in the aisleways. Well, and uh, so that, that that's my, my, my point. And then certainly coming in with, like, Dr. Abood says, is knowledgeable, experienced, at least looking to know the right questions to ask when you show up. Yeah, and the the other thing that's really neat for everybody out there that has never been to Pruce's store, you cannot just go in there and buy a bag of dog food. You have to go visit the birds. You have to go look at the aquariums. You have to go, and mine, I always go for the discus fish. Those are my favorite. But you you got to walk around the store. You, you, It's an experience. Um, you can bust into the big store and just buy, buy a bag of food, go out. But, God, you got there. You might as well walk around a little bit. And it's a great place to walk around. And I would say uh, because the people there are trained, you know, and have their own special affinity for different kinds of species that that engaging in conversation with somebody who is you know hanging out in the in the fish area or the bird yeah. area i mean you're bound to learn something absolutely 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 as you opposed know, over the years that I've, go ahead well i was just going to say as opposed to the retail college worker who <laughs> just got the part-time job in between everything else in their life, who maybe isn't going to be quite as informed or quite as grilled as the folks that Rick puts through. And we've also run into big box issues where they're getting um, a, a kickback from the company and their job is to sell X brand of food this week. And we've had this happen where a, a dog was on a very special diet and because they they did a sale, a, a used car sales job and sold them the food. The dog got sick again. And I said, well, what have you changed? Oh, well, we went to this food. But the, the guy, the college student said, this was a really good food for my dog. No, that's because he made money that week off of it. <laughs> and so that's not going to happen in a place like yours. So that's the good part. Exactly. 
Well, exactly. Well, we need to take one more break. Uh, we're going to do that, and then we're going to come back. And I, I'd like to say finish the conversation, but I don't think Not we're awesome. even at the halfway point. So uh, we'll continue the conversation with Dr. Abood right here on 1320 WILS. It's the Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and we've been talking this morning all about the subject of pet nutrition, uh, especially regarding dogs and cats. And we've got a guest in the studio who really is one of the experts anywhere you go. Uh, she has a great reputation. It's Dr. Sarah Bood, and she now is the founder of a company, Sit, Stay, Speak Nutrition, which actually has been around since 2009. Lord, it's a long time, and uh, I'm thrilled to hear that you're doing that because, again, this is a topic that a lot of people don't know a lot about. And I remember when Rick and I launched the show in 2010, in January, and one of the guests we had that fall was a veterinarian who had a very different perspective on a lot of things, and she was a very big advocate of raw foods. And that was something that I had really never thought about, never focused on. But I've got to say, with the conversations that we had with her, she made a really good case for it. And frankly, I've talked to other people over the years as well who make a good case. But I'm, I'm going to bounce it off you because I'm guessing that you're probably less of a fan of that than maybe some others. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, it's fair to say. And and there's two main reasons why most veterinary nutritionists that I know are are not really fans of feeding exclusively raw food diets. And the first is because they're not all balanced. So um, that's important for all your listeners to know that if somebody says, it's it's actually very important for veterinarians to know too, if, if they're pet owners that come into their clinic say, I'm feeding raw, we should just not assume that a raw diet is a raw diet is a raw diet uh, because they're they're not all balanced. So that's the first thing we need to try to understand. Sometimes people are feeding a commercial raw diet, and those are often balanced. But if they're feeding something homemade and they got the recipe out of a book or from a, a an internet blog or just from a friend, those are very likely not to be Balanced, and so we need to we need to help people get a balanced diet. And so, how do I make? Oh, and I have to bring this up. We've had these issues in our office too, where uh, one was a diabetic we could never get controlled because each each day it had a different meat source, um, but it had no carb source, it had no vitamins, it had no minerals added in, and 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 chicken necks or uh, whatever turkey necks, or a lot of people get into. That's not a balanced diet, right? That's not a balanced diet. So so a you're gonna. You, you might. It might take months, but in a diabetic dog, it might not take months before you see an actual problem. The the place where you we you typically see problems very quickly are in growing puppies and kittens. When they're on unbalanced diets, um, you see problems with their the growth of their bones, and th- those problems can be reversed if we can get the puppy or kitten off of the raw diet and onto a balanced diet. The the larger issue though is really about a public health concern, and that is raw diets have organisms that can get spread from the meat to the dog or the cat to the people in the household. 
And that is such a concern that the American Veterinary Medical Association and the Canadian Veterinary Medical Association and several other professional veterinary organizations, as, as far in the past as like 2011, 2012, and 2013, they came out with public statements that said, this is such an issue that we don't recommend, as a professional organization, we don't recommend the feeding of raw foods. So what are those organisms? They're organisms like Salmonella and E. coli and Clostridium. These are these are kind of like the bad bugs that, and some people feeding raw will say, well, dogs and cats have those organisms in their intestinal tract already. They can handle it. And that might be true, except for when you get a big load, right? And so if, and also if you have an immune system that's compromised in some way, a diabetic dog, a young growing puppy or kitten, an older dog, uh, they have compromised immune systems. So this is not really the best and, way and, to feed. And an, and an well, owner that's immune compromised too. That's right. Yeah. And, and in our office, when we would get chronic diarrheas, and let's say we're the third or fourth opinion veterinarian seeing a dog with diarrhea, we spend a lot of time on what are you feeding the dog? How are you feeding the dog? And when the little raw light goes off, my first question is, and actually with all of these, is does anybody else in the house have diarrhea? And they're going like, well, we don't have any other pets. I'm not talking about the pets. I'm not a human doctor. I'm your veterinarian. But does anybody else in the problem? Well, you know, either we've got Crohn's disease or something, and you go like, oh, well, it might be a misdiagnosed Crohn's. You are feeding. Your kitchen can be so contaminated that you're infecting your entire house. And so how do I stop the contamination? Right. Well... Interesting. Yeah. Rick, what is your perspective on this? Because you've invested in in stocking uh, some of the raw foods commercial. at your place that are commercial, yeah. and there are people who I'm sure are buying it. Uh, what is what is the public response to it from your perspective? I don't know if you remember back, Lee, when we did have that particular company you know, on our show, but the, the point is there are procedures that legitimate companies can go through in the processing of products that are not technically cooked. In this case, I remember it being high pressure uh, that basically, you know, prevented things like salmonella from actually passing through the, the process that it weeded it out without, uh, without impairing necessarily the overall nutritional value. Uh, it may not have the same, you know, hey, I need all these, I want all those natural bacteria that my dog can eat, it may not necessarily have that same robust presentation, but some of the nutrients that are there that are in raw form, unaffected by heat, are there. And I can tell you that there is a good number of in instances where feeding of raw food, testimonial, a, a good quality raw food like what we would carry, mm -hmm. that's safe and appropriate, actually do answer some of the concerns or problems or issues that people have had with their pet health, you know? But I think we get back to the original statement that Dr. Abood said, you know, when we're starting with a healthy dog, are we providing the necessary nutrition for that? And that's where that kibble that has the right label on the very back of the package that says it's good, it's not a cheap food, it's not necessarily an expensive food, is my dog performing well on that? Before you even think to venture elsewhere. Now, one thing that we commonly will do for those people that are interested in raw is one, a safer raw food and maybe use it as a portion of the diet as opposed to making it an exclusive diet. And I think Dr. Schultz, you're kind of Good call. hinting at that, you know, when you, when, when you 
we first started this conversation. Right. Dr. Abood, you Okay, just a couple of Please. points to follow up on what Rick, on what Rick said. Um, that high-pressure pasteurization, it, it does uh-huh. help reduce the overall potential for contamination. Uh, it as, as AFCO has looked at it yet, they have not necessarily approved it as what's considered a kill step. So it's not an official yeah, kill step yet, but, but it will reduce the likelihood. So, and, and the other thing about it, too, is you have it in – Rick, you said it's in, a pa- it's in a package. So you're taking it from the package to the dog dish. You're not smearing it all over your kitchen counter, all over your kitchen sink, and all over your utensils. Right. You're not cutting the meat yourself. You're, that's right. right. So you're, it's right. A, even it's less, but it's dramatically safer than trying to do it as a, just a complete yes, draw from the yes. butcher. So that's the other – And still be aware. You know, that's right. You still need to be aware. You can't. You can't say, "Oh, I've got a commercial food that's uh, high pressure pasteurized, so I'm I'm out of the woods." You know, it's no problem. The other point to make, though, is that there are testimonials of people who say, "My pet has done so much better," and and you can't discount testimonials. But when I want to look at evidence in the scientific literature, I don't see evidence that says. You know, it's it's significantly different the outcome between feeding raw versus feeding you know the other kind of commercial foods. But what we do have a lot of evidence for is contamination makes dogs sick. Contamination with raw food can actually spread from dogs to the other people in the household. So so that is a real concern. And yeah, the final thing is. I, where, where I've come to is that I'm not going to recommend it, but if people tell me I'm going to do it anyway, then then I think it's very appropriate to talk about risk assessment, right? We find out, you know, what kind of risk are they taking on and, and just want to talk to them all the way through so they understand what it is. And I think I think that's probably what Rick and his employees do in their in their business uh, so that it, if it sounds like they shouldn't really be guiding people to that kind of food, they've got other options. And that's great. That's perfect. Right. And, and one of the other things that comes up with food, uh, this is a little off this label, but we eat different foods, different restaurants. We go everywhere. Is food boring to pets? <laughs> Do pets get food? We get bored with food. I don't want to eat the same food well, today. Well, yeah, but I got to tell you, Doc, based on what I've seen people eat, including myself, oh. I think if there was a good bag of kibble out there, they, <laughs> you might try it. They, they would probably be a lot more nutritious than some of be the meal. Because you talk about balance, and I got to tell you, some of us are falling off the side because there is no balance uh, in that diet. So, uh, unfortunately, we are out of time for this week. We'd like to thank Dr. Sarah Bood for coming in. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And on behalf of our producer, Bruce Warner, and my co-host here in the studio, Dr. Will Schultz, and my co-host here on the line, Dr. uh, Sam, giving you a doctor. Hey, Doc. Uh, Good job. Yeah, two in a row. But uh, Rick Bruce, this is Lee Cohen wishing all of you a great weekend. Great weekend. We'll talk next weekend on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show.